afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk, The Pastor is In. I am program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is the program for the Christian layman, you know, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, that program is designed for someone just like me. There's a lot I don't understand, not necessarily anything soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been bugging me for a while. And I find that rather getting into a deep theological discussion, a casual front porch style talk with the pastor is the best way to understand it. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest pastor is Bill Swirla, who is the pastor of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, California. However, we are now actually at the convention in Tampa, the 67th convention. And uh, this is the first time I've actually seen Bill face to face. We <laughs> normally talk over the telephone. And, and it was a, it was a big disappointment for you, I'm sure. <laughs> well, at uh, one of our uh, one of our dinners when we were hosting some uh, of our sponsors, a lady was sitting next to me and gave me the, you don't like a thing like your voice. No. And I replied, well, I'm much more devastatingly handsome than you expected, right? She goes, no. <laughs> I, I'm a lot taller on the radio. Ah. I just, I've been told that many times. Yeah, okay. This is very weird. First of all, I don't have a voice, so if I sound like I'm going through a second puberty, it's because I've got this summer cold, and uh, but I'm, I'm going to make a be best effort of it. So this ensures that you get in a word edgewise for ah. a change, so take advantage. <laughs> well, that'll be a change of pace of our normal program, Bill. <laughs> Actually, what... Uh as we mentioned, we are here at the 67th Triennial Convention of the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate, and all of the, the district presidents and all the leaders and all the uh, pastors and everybody's meeting here, and then there's me. <laughs> and I'm a layman. I'm, I'm about as low on the, uh, on the theological totem pole as one can get. So that being the case, i got to ask... Why is this convention important to me, just as an everyday Lutheran? I, I think I ask myself that while I'm sitting there at the table uh, all day, <laughs> these long sessions. It is, it's vitally important, I think. And, and I would say this, it, it goes back to um, the beginnings of the Missouri Synod, where CFW Walther and the founding fathers of the Missouri Synod realized that the laity had a significant voice in the life of the church, um, including the, the, the doctrine of the church and, and including making judgments regarding the orthodoxy of their teachers. You know, Walther emphasized that the, the laity weren't just idle sheep sitting around just being spoon-fed everything, but that uh, they too, uh, they had the Holy Spirit, they had the Word of God, and they were called upon to listen with judgment and discernment to what they were hearing. And that's played out, I think, in the synodical conventions where every congregation as a unit is represented by its, a pastor and a layperson. And so that layperson is vital to the voice and the mind of the church. And that includes not only the temporal governance issues, but also issues concerning doctrine, practice, fellowship, all the things that we consider at a convention, um, clergy and laity have equal voice. Well, I, you know, I know I'm no theological scholar. I, I probably know a little bit more about Lutheran theology than the average bearer, but by no means am I a scholar. And uh, I, I, I keep wondering, you know, what kind of a contribution can I make? You know, I simply 
follow what my conscience dictates. Uh, when I have questions, when I doubt, I go to someone like you who can explain the matters to me. In fact, that's one of the things this program is about, uh, you know, to, to explain what, what is wrong, what is right, uh, how I can impact my society, how can, how can I impact the church? You know, I know how the church impacts me, but I never really thought about me impacting the church. Well, you know, we all have opinions about things, whether they, you know, we kick things around in politics mm-hmm. and even in, in religion, even in terms of uh, uh, 10 people will read a, a parable of Jesus and, and come up with 10 different ideas of things they want to talk about. The convention doesn't, doesn't write doctrine, okay? The, the convention simply... Uh, tries to express itself and to act according to the doctrine that we have expressed in the Lutheran confessions, the ancient creeds. Mm-hmm. And I think in that regard, very often what I've, what I've found is that, that a lot of times the what we call the layperson, you know, and that's the person, the, pew, the hearer of the word of God, sometimes has, I won't say better judgment, but a more uncluttered judgment. There's a way in which theologians or pastors, pastors are kind of the, they're practicing theologians. Um, there's, a, there's a danger sometimes in knowing too much or thinking about too much at the same time. And so it gets very complicated. And what I really appreciate when the laity come to the microphone is, is very often the simplicity that they bring. There's faithfulness, it's Christ-centered. They're looking, they're looking out for the life of the church, they're looking out for the proclamation of Jesus, and they kind of cut to the chase. And so I think, I think there's an advantage. As you say, if, if you want to know the history of it, if you want to know what it says in the Greek or the Hebrew, uh, not that that's closed off to laity, of course, but um, there we have some experts floating around, and it's nice to hear from the experts. I'm always happy when the professors chime in, when the district presidents chime in, in matters of polity. I'm, you and I are in the same boat when it comes to the, the bylaws and the handbook. I don't understand that stuff either. <laughs> and so I rely on people, including the synodical lawyers, to tell us what's going on. And, and as a result, I think we're all working together as a body. So everybody brings their, their perspective and they, they bring things together in the light of Christ. And so I don't think there's a greater or lesser here. I think everybody's voice is important. Well, I, I know when I hear, uh, hear two pastors speaking, and, uh, you know, I'll get confused. <laughs> they get way above what I can, what I can understand. Well, see, they try to outdo each other. We, you know, when, when pastors get together, we try to say things that the other guy doesn't understand so that you sound profound. <laughs> and, and if you really want to be profound, to paraphrase G.K. Chesterton, I say something that I don't even understand. Okay. <laughs> you know, but, but no, seriously, seriously, there's levels of depth to these things. But most of the stuff that comes up at a convention is not at that level. Uh, we have, like, the CTCR, the Commission on Theology and Church Relations. It, that, too, has, has theologians, pastors, laity, uh, experts in the field. And they work over the complicated stuff, and they write papers for us that they kind of distill it out for us because we don't have time to study everything. And so they kind of give us guidelines and things, things to talk about and things to look at too. So it's really a combination where people bring in the various gifts and expertise that they have. I think it's an expression of the body of Christ, ah. you know, because we, we're all diverse, we all have different gifts, 
And when we come together, there's a kind of a collective mind that's much different than my own individual opinion or your opinion. Well, the one thing I do believe firmly is that uh, there's this little voice back here that always talks to me, and I believe that it is it is the Holy Spirit. Um, when I will want to do something and something will say, no, this isn't quite right. I'm going to go back in history a little bit here. I, I remember when the uh, when the Seminex issue arose. And uh, I flirted with a, with the rebels for a while there. Back then they were called ELIM, I believe, Evangelical <laughs> Lutherans in Mission. Yes. And a lot of what they were saying was very attractive. But there was that voice, if you will, that feeling in the back of my mind saying, this isn't right. This isn't right. And uh, so I stayed with I stayed with the Synod. I had some misgivings, but somehow I knew that that was the path that I needed to follow. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Luther's comment about never violate the Word of God or conscience. Mm. Uh, the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Word, but God has implanted that conscience in there which is kind of, it's, it's the monitor. And, and there's also like what Paul talks about in Romans. He talks about let, let, him, let, let him who speaks or, or, or prophesies do so according to the analogy of the faith. And I think there's an intuition that when you hear something that just doesn't jive with what you believe. Now, you may be wrong, but you ought to listen to that. That, yeah. that invites a deeper, a, a deeper look. And... Um, things the controversies of the 70s or our own present controversies they always take on a kind of a political polarity yeah, so, the left hand kingdom we can't avoid well and, and then there's you know this side and the other side mm -hmm. and, and very often there's mishearing um, there's all kinds of it you know this is these are sinful humans getting together and we all bring our baggage along with it and the other problem too I think is that we don't listen terribly well so I know I know what I think and I can't wait to get a micro get to a microphone to say it but we don't listen that's why having this 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 laryngitis that I've got going here mm -hmm. it's been really good it's like imposed silence <laughs> so I I'm actually doing more listening and uh, no microphone time and Does except wife for this appreciate that yeah um, you know I think she's hoping that I bring this situation home so she can get a word in edgewise too but it, you know it's been good because what you do is you listen to the various sides and where they're coming from and their different perspectives and it's not always a matter of black and white right or wrong mm -hmm. I, I think the other key element that's missing sometimes when we disagree is humility so we kind of dig in our heels and, and we go on the attack and, and then we feel justified in having to, then we got to vanquish our enemy, you know. Hubris. And, yeah, yeah. And, you know, a lot of times you can be right and then do all the wrong things with it. <laughs> and you can be smart and know a lot, but scandalize all the little ones of faith in the process. And this is no good. This is not what we're here for. One of the things I learn here and, and I'm reminded of is that you know, I may have opinions about a lot of things, but I'm just a little part of a much bigger body. And and you know how they you know, how they said loose lips sink ships yeah. kind of thing. You really get an appreciation for how the careless word or the carelessly formed idea can really do a lot of damage. Oh yeah, in in broadcast journalism, uh, you know, we teach that words are bullets. 
Yes. Once they're fired, you can't bring them back. Can't unfire them. And they can cause a lot of damage. And so I, I think, you know, historically a lot of our controversies have been in part catalyzed by stubbornness. Mm-hmm. Not willing to say, uh, not willing even to ask, what do you, when I say this, what do you hear? And just listen to that, you know, and maybe it needs to be corrected. Maybe your hearing is bad. Maybe I need to choose different ways of saying it. Or maybe I'm not seeing a problem that you are seeing. Mm-hmm. But it takes, it takes a, a fair amount of humility to be able to back off of your own position and listen very attentively to the other person. Well, I think it's very human not to, and maybe that's part of the old Adam. Of uh, course. He's self-justified. <laughs> that's true. Oh, the woman made me do it. You know? he, yeah. Well, and he thanks God daily that he's not like other men. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I've yeah, heard yeah, that yeah. one before. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's... it's I, I talk to a, a lot of people, as you are aware, um, who are much more liberal theologically than I am. And uh, I try to approach it with humility. I, I let them know where I stand and why I stand. Uh, but I don't think that I attack them. And yet I am frequently attacked. Yeah. Well, I think one of the problems is that thing that you experience at the front end, whether it's hostility or being attacked or aggressiveness or anger. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things, um, a, a good skill to learn is to look beyond that, to try to see beyond that, because that's the front, that's the mask. Usually people who are angry are defensive. Mm-hmm. People, people who attack you want to make sure you don't attack them first. So, so there's an insecurity. There's, there's something they don't want to get to. And, and I think if you approach that thing with arm, not only arms laid down, arms not even drawn, yeah. it, automatically it's a different conversation. I, I think one of the first things that we need to do in these confrontational situations is, is ease the defensiveness so that we can approach each other as brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ and, and be more open and vulnerable to each other. And... It, I may not have all the answers. I'm listening. Mm-hmm. And rather than just kind of like hammering your point home until, until the enemy surrenders <laughs> out of fatigue. <laughs> oh, one problem I have when, when, when discussing theological matters with these people, are, I'm going to call them uh, cafeteria Christians. Oh, yeah, the pick and choose? Yeah, the pick and choose. Yeah. And, you know, well, I really like the Bible, but there are some areas I just don't like and I don't, I don't follow. Excuse me? <laughs> you know, there's... there's portions of the Bible I'm not especially fond of, but it doesn't matter. You know, and, and I think that's where our, our, our doctrine of Scripture really obligates us, because we, we confess that the Scriptures are the Word of God in their entirety, mm-hmm. warts and all. And they're the inspired Word of God. They're the gift of God by the Holy Spirit through the prophets, apostles, evangelists. Uh, they are infallible. And, and yet they present this tapestry of stories, of, of poetry, of prophecy, of history, of all kinds of things. And, you know, you look at it and some of it is you just shake your head and yep. say, did you really have to put the Song of Solomon in the Bible? OK, <laughs> you know, why? Why the Book of Ruth? Um, you know, why do why do we have these things? But I think there's an obligation, because it is the Word of God, to not write it off. 
you know, that's your first obligation is not mm -hmm. to say, oh, that's wrong or that's an error or just to write it off, that's nonsense, the opinion of men. I always ask myself, why did the Holy Spirit in his infinite wisdom choose to include this yeah. in this way. Yeah. I don't understand it, I don't like it, I don't approve right. of it, but it's holy writ. <laughs> I, I, I have kind of an illustration, I don't know how far it flies, but if, if, if I know that two plus two equals four, mm -hmm. and I read in the Bible that two plus two equals 10, the doctrine of scripture forbids me to say the Bible doesn't know how to do arithmetic, <laughs> or God doesn't know how to do arithmetic. I've got to find some way to understand that correctly. Now, if you're a mathematician, you know that two plus two does equal 10 in base four arithmetic. Mm -hmm. So all the mathematicians can go, yeah, yeah, I get that. But in other words, there's a, there are ways to understand these things, but we're obligated to hear the word of God and especially to hear Christ in it, because that's the point. Well, there are times like every day that I kind of wish that Jesus spoke American English. The Bible is so full of parables and analogies and... Well, it's Middle Eastern. Yeah. You, you know, one of the guys who just walked by the table that shook hands with me, a guy named Nabil, he's one, he's one of the vice presidents of the Senate. Yes, I know him quite and, well. But, you know, he grew up in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And I had the privilege of taking the book of Job Oh, with okay. Nabil in the class. He and I were classmates in that. And it was a riot because we had a genuine Middle Easterner, somebody who grew up in Nazareth, reading the book of Job, which is about as Semitic as it gets. And he's just chiming in, oh yeah, they still do this today, or they still talk this way today. And I'm, it's like, <laughs> this is mind-blowing. But you realize that you have to get out of your American, Western, 21st century context. Yeah. You know, you gotta forget some things that you know and take for granted every day and get into that mindset. And, and he helped us enormously because at least culturally, he was already there. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there, there is a, a, a tendency, uh, both on the part of Christians and non-Christians, to associate Christianity as being a Western religion. It's <laughs> <laughs> no, see, that's bizarre. The church tends to have, don't you love that little, that little extra chirp there? That, yeah, that's nice, yeah. yeah. The church tends to um, be associated with the West, but we even forget that like Latin Christianity, St. Augustine, the greatest thinker of Latin Christianity, was from North Africa. That's right. Modern Libya. Um, you know, Europe is kind of a latecomer on that scene. You know, the great church that that missionized the the Mediterranean world was Antioch. Mm -hmm. That's the sending church of Paul, right? Right. And so, you know, it is Middle Eastern. It's 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 you know that that place in Asia. It's Mediterranean. It's African. And oh, by the way, it's European. And then on the late scene, America. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, that, maybe that's one of the beauties of Christianity, uh, is that, again, according to St. Peter, uh, the word is for everyone, everyone, of, of, all, of all races, of all nations. I, I don't think other, other religions quite have that same appeal. Uh, well, you know, it, I think it's a marvel of Christianity that it is transcultural. Yes. Um, Every other religion that I can think of is, it's wed to its culture. You know, so Buddhism is inherently Asian. Mm -hmm. um, Islam is inherently Middle Eastern. 
Um, Christianity starts in the Middle East, spreads to the Roman world, spreads all over the place with like Pentecost speed, right? But what it does is it doesn't, it doesn't, it absorbs the culture instead. So it's, it's nimble. And so that's why you can have the same faith confessed in modern first world, 21st century technological Mm -hmm. America. And yet we have complete fellowship and, and we enjoy the same faith as countries that don't have all the, the gizmos that we do, yeah. uh, maybe even have a different kind of outlook, different worldview than we do, but we share faith in Christ. And, and that shapes our commonality. So, so it transcends our culture. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, this is an amazing thing. This, this is why the church has survived. Well, we see it a lot within the Lutheran church. Uh, Africa, for example, where, where Lutheranism is booming and uh, Madagascar, for example, uh, Ethiopia, yep. uh, we're having it all over the uh, all over that continent. And certainly, those are very, very different cultures, and yet there is a commonality of Christianity. I look at uh, other other religions and other cultures within the U.S. Uh, Islamic culture, for example. Well, they not just follow Islam; they, as you said, they follow the Middle Eastern culture as well. Uh, I think it's true largely of the, uh, especially of the observant Jews. Yeah, well, you know, the whole thing is to be, to be properly Middle Eastern, mm-hmm. you know, at least they would, they would have you believe, but then you have to be, you have to be Muslim. Mm-hmm. You don't, they're Christians in the Middle East. Yeah. But that's the whole idea. You're not really truly Iranian or you're not really truly whatever if you're not Muslim. We just heard a great speech in there, uh, an essay from Gottfried Martins. Uh, and he's from the independent Lutheran church, Zelk. Oh, and, the Zelk, yeah. yeah. And he has a congregation that's just booming with uh, refugees from the Middle East, war refugees from the Middle East. And these are converts to Christianity, so it costs them dearly. But this is a really impressive story. Mm-hmm. And, and it shows um, just how, how nimble Christ, the, you know, Christianity, the gospel of Jesus is. That here come these war refugees, and, and they have... They have Islamic backgrounds, and yet they hear the gospel, and it immediately takes hold. And, you know, I think deep down inside, I think a lot of these other faiths realize that is one reason why Christianity is not allowed in certain countries. It's the dangerous one because it's the truth Ah. that all the others hint at, but this one has. Mm. Um, you know, I've, I, I've known people who have been converts from Islam, and, and it, the, the experience is very similar in all of them, that in encountering Jesus, the Son of God, they have encountered in person the merciful one, that they've always said that Allah is merciful. Now they've encountered true mercy yeah. in Jesus Christ. And so everything rings true. It's like all the, all the little pieces of the puzzle instantly snap together. Well, Bill, we got to take a little break right now. But after this, I think we got a lot more coming up. This is going to be a lot of fun. This 
This is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller inviting you to join me every Monday afternoon on Cross Defense, 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock here on KFUO Radio, where we take up curious topics, curious Christian topics, to excite our imaginations, equip our minds, and comfort our consciences with the supreme and beautiful clarity of God's Word. It happens on Cross Defense every Monday afternoon, 2 to 3, here on KFUO. Please make plans to join us. And if you can't join us live, check out the podcast at kfuo.org. Well, welcome back to Let's Talk the Pastor is In. My guest today is Pastor Bill Swirla from Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, California, and we are broadcasting from Tampa, Florida. And as I said before, this is the first time Bill and I ever actually met face to face. A true front porch, or at least a folding table. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's true. And we don't have any beer. We don't have any iced tea. Not even iced tea. No, you got water. I got a bottle of water here just to keep the voice lubricated. But uh... (laughs) thirsting for the, I won't go there. Hey, you know, as long as we're talking about the convention, I just want to kind of mention something that's really important to me is that um, this this convention, especially the the mission presentation has been really good. Yes. Yeah, very well prepared, nice. They were short videos, but they really captured the essence of it. But what impresses me is just as you go around the world, all the different ways, you know, you're going from the, the jungles of, you know, Papua New Guinea, mm-hmm. Africa. And, and also what was really amazing, uh, yesterday we saw a presentation on kind of the gospel slowly being reintroduced to places where the Reformation once, you know, Luther talked about gospel being a local rain that moves on after mm-hmm. a while. Well, you know, it's moved on. Yeah. And you have some hard, just hard skeptical atheism in Europe. I, and, I ran into uh, one of our people who was based in, in the Czech Republic. Yes, that, 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 was, that was some of the stuff that we yeah. saw. And yeah. this is what he was saying, is that you know, Christianity is just dead there. Yeah. Our religion, period, is dead in the, in but, the Czech But the Republic. beautiful thing is God, God's not dead to it. No. The, and and so so the gospel is 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 being heard again, and people are hearing are listening and believing again. Mm-hmm. And so you know, it may not be a full shower like the Reformation, but it's a light drizzle, <laughs> and, that, and this is a good thing. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting to me that uh, uh, you know, of course, the uh, the spread of communism really suppressed a lot of uh, a lot of religious thought, and. Uh, as he pointed out, in the Czech Republic, uh, for whatever reason, uh, Christianity didn't bounce back. But uh, go to uh, Latvia, for example, which is yeah. Yeah, heavily Lutheran, and it never died out. And after the communists fell, it really blossomed again. Well, I think it's uh, also a lesson to us never to give up. That it's, it's very easy. You know, some regions in our country are a little lean when it comes to Christianity oh, yeah. and can be very aggressive when it comes to anti-Christianity. Oh, we're running into that every day. Yeah, but but not to lose heart, not to give up because God doesn't give up. And and he always has his remnant floating around, his 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. <laughs> and so, you know, it may seem like the church is dead in some places. It may seem like faith has departed, but there's always he's always got his secret agents going and and then the time comes and um and it all reignites again it it does and i think the bible uh actually 
I, I was going to say hinted at it, but I think explicitly said that there's going to be a lot of difficulty ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, no, <laughs> Jesus said that, too. <laughs> I mean, you know, he, he warned his disciples that the times of the end, and we've always been in the times of the end since Jesus, yeah. so it applies to us. But the times of the end are no picnic persecutions, um, you know, people turning in their, their own family mm. for being, being disciples of Christ and... And, you know, they'd be hauled before kings and councils and everything. Nothing new under the sun here. We're, we're experiencing the same thing. Although I have to say, listening to Gottfried Martin's, Pastor Martin's talking about what some of his people go through. Um, he put this in really stark perspective for me this morning because um, he, he said, don't make yourself out to be a martyr and don't call a little, a little inconvenience and an insult now and then persecution. And uh, he outlined some real persecution. Well, I spoke to uh, Nabil uh, yesterday yes. about this very topic. Yes. And he, he told me the story about a, a young woman he knew from Saudi Arabia who converted from Islam to Christianity. And boy, the cost to her yeah. of that. I mean, she lost her family. They disowned her. Uh, she had to leave the country because of being an apostate in Saudi Arabia is a capital crime. Yeah. Well, Martin's ta talked of uh, one man in his congregation uh, whom they, and I think they, if I'm not mistaken, it was the, the Iranian police, secret mm. police, said that they would arrest his 12-year-old daughter and basically put her into a marriage with a radical Muslim mm. just as punishment for his apostasy. Mm. See, so they go after your family, and, but, but they, they know persecution. And, and they know loss. They, they've lost country, they've lost family, they've lost property. You know, it's, it's, it's a take they are life, goods, fame, child and wife moment. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it's good for us to hear that, to see some of the, or to hear some of the testimony of that, to kind of get things into perspective for us. We, we we're operating in a lot of freedom and we should never take that for granted. Well, that was another thing that uh, Nabil pointed out. Uh, was just how rare in the world freedom of worship is. Yes. And uh, just what we have here in this country. Yeah, we're, we're certainly we're having some some difficulties, but nothing, nothing. Yeah, we have some speed bumps here and yeah, there. Yeah, okay, yeah. but but don't don't call speed bumps a roadblock. Uh, right. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Thanks. I I didn't have anything. You filled it out for me. <laughs> I used to argue with this uh, one woman at a. Uh, City Council meeting I was covering days ago, and she was a big advocate of what she called traffic calming. And she would get so upset when I wrote in the newspaper that there were speed bumps. <laughs> no, they're not speed bumps, they're traffic calming. Traffic okay. calming. Traffic calming. Oh, my. I, I would think they more, they're more like suspension benders or something <laughs> like that. So I want to ask you, yeah. you know, you're sitting here kind of right off the main entrance of the convention, mm -hmm. and you're kind of like a thoroughfare here. I'm sure a lot of people talk to you. What's, what's been your, your experience of just kind of sitting here watching the ebb and flow of things? Well, I tell you, the one thing I find that is really heartening are the number of people have come up and said, gee, thank you for KFUO, blah 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 uh, you have to understand in in radio I'm in a studio most of the time 
and deep down inside, talking to yourself in a glass booth, talking to myself, and I don't really believe at an emotional level that there is anyone out there. Yeah, if 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 people haven't done that, the experience of radio is a little bit like talking to yourself in your car. Oh yeah, yeah. Nobody, you you know, nobody hears you. You're just you're just doing it. You know, when I first started uh, this business, I had terrible mic fright to the point where I'd almost lose my voice. Yeah, and. Um, Early in the career, I made the rookie's mistake. The mic was hot, and I said something I really shouldn't have said. <laughs> that could have been a career ender. Story of my career. Nobody complained. I mean, no calls, no cards, no letters. The station management wasn't even listening to me. And that's when I realized it didn't matter. There's nobody out there. Why am I afraid? There's nobody listening. <laughs> and that cured my mic fright. Good. Yeah. It's not good for your ratings, but, but it, it does help. <laughs> But at least I got my voice back. I mean, I'm serious. I, I was so, so frightened that on, on occasion I lost my voice. So one of the things you're hearing is how important uh, the conversations that you have are to people, and, and they're, mm-hmm. they're giving you feedback in that, too. How does it kind of look in terms of just the people involved? Do you, do you see do you see joy? Do you see tension? Do you see animosity? Do you see weirdness? I see a lot of solemnity. Uh, people are solemn here because oh. they know that they are doing some very important work. Yeah. And this is something that is going to affect souls all across the uh, all across the board. And um, they take their role very, very seriously. Sometimes a little too, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we've had, I think we've had four four uh, delegates, not, like pastors or whatnot, go, go down with heart attacks. Oh. Seriously. I mean, it started like with day one. And and every time there's a note to the podium, it's like another one. I figure it's a sign of the aging of the clergy. <laughs> or, or we're all out of shape. <laughs> or, or we're taking this too seriously. I don't know. But, but so, got to lighten up here a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know, heck, I've survived two heart attacks. So, so you know. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I said, uh, I, I think you and I discussed this one time, was uh, that one of the most peaceful episodes of my life was in the intensive care unit. <laughs> anyway, really? <laughs> I'm lying there, you know, and suddenly, you know, meeting that deadline or paying the bill or getting that papers done didn't matter. You know, the only questions were, would I live or die? Completely out of my hands. And if I lived, I'd go back to my life. If I died, I would Go to heaven, you know, so I was going to win either way. See, I mean, the intensive care, the ICU, that, that's where be still and know that I am God really takes hold. Oh, yes. that's all you can do is be still. Mm-hmm. You're just laid out. You know, you can't even get up to go to the bathroom. No. <laughs> no. It's be still. That was, that was one really bad part. It is, yeah. I've, I've <laughs> never, I've, I've, I've witnessed others. I've never had the privilege myself. But. Oh, I'd just as soon avoid that if I could. But. Well, here's how you can tell that I was that I was truly a Christian, or at least raised. Yeah, I was. They, they had catheterized me because uh, you can't go to the bathroom when you're in the ICU, um, and uh, there was a, a hole in my leg where they'd put in the uh, the tube to go up to my heart. And oh yeah, I was on antibiotic or anticoagulants, and there was this danger that I would spring a leak. Literally, yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. yeah. So they catheterized me, and after a few days, they finally decided it was time to take the catheter out. And this nurse came in and yanked the catheter out, 
And I got to tell you, it hurt. <laughs> and I let out with it. Oh, golly gee whiz. That's what you said. That's what I said. Yeah, okay, those very words, sure, yeah. You should have seen the expression on that nurse's face. She just looked at me and said, golly gee whiz. Oh, you really said golly gee whiz? I really said that. Wow, so, okay. Golly gee whiz. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> well, you know, it's total loss of control. Yeah. You are entirely in the passenger seat of your life, which you actually are anyway. Uh-huh. But but uh, medically, you come to a new realization of that because, you know, I mean, what does the scripture say that that we were baptized in the Christ? We were crucified with Christ. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. We, we've been in the passenger seat since our baptism. Absolutely. We, we just don't recognize that most of the time. And so so this kind of drives the point home. It really does. <laughs> uh, plus, you know, it drives home the fact of mortality. Uh, mortality is a good thing to be aware of. It is. And, uh, you know, I remember um, I wrote an article once uh, years ago. I'm, sometimes I was actually introspective and wrote things for newspapers and things like that. And uh, this was on... Uh, the day I became a man, mm. and that was uh, it was in my 19th year. I was in a motorcycle accident, and I remember last second and a half before the crash, I knew I was dead. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind whatsoever. Yeah. I had had it. You had that flash. I had that flash. Yeah. I was gone, and that is the difference between the child and the adult. The child does not believe he can die. Right. The child thinks he is immortal. Right. The adult knows A lot of better. teenagers think they're immortal, too. That was me. I it's was 19 a, years old. It's a rude awakening when, you, when yeah. you discover otherwise. But I think it's a necessary awakening. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that's, that was it. You don't, that's an Ash Wednesday moment. You know, dust you are and to the dust you will return. You, you got to know who you are in Adam. Uh-huh. And then remind yourself of who you are in Christ. It is. It is. And, you know, and there are two different levels of consciousness on here. There's the intellectual level. Oh, yeah, I'm 18. I'm 19. I know I'm going to die someday. Ha, ha, ha. Right. And then there's the emotional level. Do you truly believe? Right. Yeah, I would say there's a strata under, all, under both of those because your thoughts, your feelings... You know, that, that's, that's kind of your construct of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but then under that is your being. And, and that's, that's a matter of identity. Who are you? Oh, absolutely. And, and that's, that's where your baptism kicks in full bore, is that, you know, you don't live. The, your thoughts, your feelings, there's, that's just your thoughts and feelings. But your being is in Christ. And that, that's that little voice, I guess, I was talking about yes. earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a little concerned about the voices, but we can talk about that some other time. (laughs) You know, those voices aren't real. (laughs) Whenever my parishioners are hearing voices, I get a little nervous about that. Well, not literally hearing voices. I know. Just somehow knowing, you know. I know what you're saying. Yeah. And I I call it a voice for want of a better word, but it's, it's, there's this certainty. Well, you know. We, we are, we're very good as Lutherans about the external word, and we should be, because that's how God deals with us. But we, we need to remind ourselves that uh, Christ also dwells within us. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. his spirit dwells within us. And according to Jesus' words, the Father dwells with because you can't separate the three anyway. Mm-hmm. But, and the fruit of the spirit is always there. And, so, and that's, that's within us. 
that's in our being. And so, so we carry that around. So it's like the toolbox ain't empty here. <laughs> right? Well, well that's, that's part of the, uh, to me, that's part of the beauty of Holy Communion. Yeah. Is literally becoming part of the body and blood of Christ. Well, yeah, that's a vine and branches moment because Christ talks about you abide in me and I abide in you mm -hmm. like a vine and branches and therefore fruit. And, and so, you know, in communion, we abide in Christ. Yeah. And through faith, he abides in us. And, and this, that's, that's how you live. Yeah. It's the only way to live. Yeah. Well, my, my f I've got two favorite uh, moments in every church service. One is the absolution. That's a good moment. Yeah, where my sins, the announcement of my sins being forgiven. And boy, do I have sins. <laughs> we yeah, all do. But, yeah. And uh, If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. You deceive yourself. And the truth yourself. is yeah. not in it's, you. It's in it. <laughs> and then there's the Holy Communion, where uh, it's the joining of the, of the Godhead. I notice you're not too keen on the sermon. Well, you kind of endure that pretty much. <laughs> it depends on the pastor. It, I yeah, tell I you. know. It depends on the week too. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My pastor, uh, Pastor uh, Lawrence, is is very, very good. But good. I've, I've had other pastors where I wanted to fall asleep. And and those now here's a spiritual exercise. See, it's it's the tedious sermon. Yeah. That's the real test. That's the real test. You know, you have to remember, like I'm a professional preacher, so I'm like a lousy hearer. Yeah. So when I'm sitting next to my wife in the pew. Like I was on sabbatical for a few months, so I got to just go to church. And boy, you have to turn off the professional. And I asked myself, what does God want to say to me today? Because it's coming out of that preacher's mouth. <laughs> and I may not like him, uh, his style, uh, his, you know, how he interprets the passage, but God has something to say and I need to hear it. And, and that's a great spiritual exercise. I'll have to remember that. Yeah, do that. It, I think it's really important because we get too much into the person, personality. You know, the, even the best, the highest liturgical service can just be a show. You know, I think Herman Zassi said something like this. He said, he said the, the Protestant goes to church to hear a preacher, but the Catholic Christian goes to church to meet Christ. And so and we, should go, we, we should go to meet Christ yeah. and, and, and kind of what, what Christ is wearing may, may vary, <laughs> well, you know, but uh, same uh, Savior. Well, Nabil told me yesterday that uh, he, he said that Catholics make the best Lutherans. Yeah, the, they can. Yeah, when they, they convert. They can, yeah. yeah. Now, now my, my wife is a Roman Catholic. and uh, My father's side of the family is all Roman Catholic. My dad was a convert, but... Yeah, I mean, actually, Lutherans make the best Lutherans if we would just be yes. Lutheran. And, <laughs> and again, that, that's Nabil. Because we have a contribution. And I think the contribution that Lutherans bring to the table is this, this Christ-centeredness. Because when we started this conversation in the last, last part, we were talking about, so we have a disagreement, yes. maybe. I think the best place to start is to start with Christ. Because that's what we have in common. That's what makes us brothers in Christ. And, and from that center, then we can kind of work out into our place of disagreement. Mm -hmm. But it's always got to be anchored in to our identity in Christ, the forgiveness of our sins in Christ, the blood of Christ, the body and blood that you and I share. That's our communion. Mm -hmm. See, that's why we're together. And, and so if we start there in the Christ center, then I think our disagreements may be a little bit, they're seen in a different light. 
They probably are, and I think maybe that's one of the reasons why other faiths uh, are so disliking of Christianity. Uh, it is it is the most dangerous religion in the world yeah. because it's true. Yes. <laughs> well, I was uh, talking to an Islamic scholar. He follows a Lutheran, but he's, he's an expert in Islamic history. Mm-hmm. And he was pointing out that in the Quran, uh, more... Uh, Miracles are associated with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. There's supposedly only one miracle for Muhammad, but many... The, the moon? The moon going up his sleeve? Uh, where he, he he went to the farthest mosque uh, in one night. There's, a, there's another one, I think, about the moon going up one sleeve and out the other or something. But, yeah, I mean, the, they won't deny Jesus' miracles and, and everything else, but, you know, he's at the level of, of second second best prophet in the world. Yeah. Number two, runner-up. But, you know, son of God, savior of the world, another story. But here's the thing is lots of religions have truths. You can find truths in philosophy and there's truths around, but the truth incarnate is found only in one person. And, you know, there's empirical evidence to it as well. Some, yeah. And yeah. Uh, one empty tomb and a bunch of eyewitnesses. That's a good place to start. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. But, you know, there, but, you know, so much happened that was recorded. And, and archaeology is constantly turning up things that prove the Bible. Uh, for example, the, uh, the finding of the pilot, uh, the uh, pilot column. Yeah, the the risk there is the the risk there is that you're always you're always nervous about the next finding. You know, <laughs> you, you, we don't prove the Bible true, no. and and archaeology can kind of inform us about the context, but it's never going to prove. Oh no no no! Faith is is the basis for that. Yeah yeah. It, yeah. The, it, it's nice when there's when there's something concrete to show it but we know it's already there it, it's that same thing that i talked about when when you read something you don't like or don't understand don't throw it away you're obligated to take it seriously yeah. and so it's the same same way we don't we don't prove it and lacking proof therefore we can discard it we acknowledge it to be the word of god mm-hmm. and and if the proof if there's you know if there's stuff that comes along that that says oh just like it said that's nice, you know. If I can find the well that Jesus sat at, uh-huh. Jacob's well, where he uh, talked with the Samaritan woman, Samaritan, yeah. that gives me a nice picture. But I don't need the picture. No, no. You know, no. the picture's given the, to us. The evangelist, the evangelist has given me the one thing needful. <laughs> well, that, that, that's the beauty of it. Again, there's that uh, that voice. You know, when when you sit down and read the scripture, and know it is true. You know, if I could encourage people to do one thing, and that is to read the scriptures and enjoy them. Uh, I think sometimes we do too much dissecting, analyzing, pulling apart. The forest for the trees. Right, yeah, yes. So, so, so enjoy the narratives, enjoy the characters, enjoy the outrageousness of how God works. Because it's really a consistent story of God doing the outrageous thing. God justifying the sinner, you know. Mm-hmm. God raising up an Israel. And, and I think when you approach it that way, not trying to prove something, mm-hmm. not trying to find some passages to bash somebody over the head with, but to just kind of revel in those stories. The Gospels are rich. 
Oh, yes. Yeah, but, you know, you don't go in there or don't even go in there with questions. Just go in there with an empty head like you've never heard it before <laughs> and, and, and enjoy it. You'll discover things every time you every time you, you venture in, you'll discover something. Well, Bill, we're in the last minute here. Uh, so do you have any last thoughts before you have to get back into the convention center well, and tell um, them how it's done? You know, I, I, I think the thought that I would give here is that say what you will about church bodies and synods and things like that. When you meet people face to face, even those people that you may disagree with, like you and I never met. Well, you don't disagree, mm -hmm. but but it, it changes when, when you see a brother or sister in Christ eye to eye, face to face. And, and if there's value in our gathering like this, that, that may be the most valuable thing is just to see our brothers and sisters in Christ in, in the LCMS face to face. Very important. Amen. Bill, thank you so much for your thoughts. You've been listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting The Pastor Is In on Worldwide KFUO.